everyone. Welcome to Backstory Sessions. I'm your host, Matt. We hope you enjoy this episode. Everybody, it's Kat, and I want to welcome you to this episode of Backstory Sessions. I'm joined today by my co-host, Matt. Hey, Matt. Hey, Kat. Hey, everyone. How are you? Matt, it's the end of season six. I know. It seems like uh, the season went by really quick, don't you think? I think it flew by. I mean, I can't even believe I'm saying it as I'm saying it. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't remember when it started, but, uh, I knew. Tess, Tess Frizzell was our, our right. first guest. Yeah, yeah, I don't remember when that was, though. So, probably, like, what, three months ago? Yeah, probably. Um,. So, I don't know, looking back on it, even though it's gone by fast, there's, there's been a lot of, like, great stories that we've been able to tell. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, another successful season, definitely. And what a great note that we're going to end with this interview with Brett Lauda. Yeah, and it should be, uh, should be an interesting episode, I think. I know, I can't wait to hear about the making of this uh, new movie that he has out and, um, you know, the backstory of, of some of how he got to uh, be where he is today. Yeah, should be good. What was well, your, uh, before we do that, what was your, what was the most memorable thing over this past season for you? You know, I mean, there there have been a lot of great stories, and I mean, one thing that's memorable um, is Alex Miller. Um, I, I think because he's just so um, like charismatic, and uh, he was really easy to interview, and had a lot of great stories and he's so driven you know i admire that in people yeah, but yeah. that's that's kind of a common thread don't you think and uh most of our guests that uh, have reached this level of success um that they are very uh driven yeah i think it goes you know i think the success they achieve goes hand in hand with how driven they are to achieve that success i mean very few of them find it just like, you know, very few of them have things just handed to them, I guess is what I mean. And, uh, uh, you know, some of them have, I guess, like advantages over others or whatever, but all of them work very hard to get where they are. Well, like Tess Frizzell, you know, she comes from, like we called her, musical royalty. Um, but she still, you know, worked very hard, worked her way um, into the position that she's in now. And uh, that was an interesting episode we started the season with because of, you know, the way the song came to be with um, her grandmother starting it and then... 
you know, people finding the lyrics and her getting to co-write to finish it and then record this song. Um, I thought that was a very interesting backstory. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, it's certainly a full circle kind of thing. Yeah, and I like, you know, I love when things come full circle. Um, Vernon, oh my goodness, Vernon Wells. <laughs> love that guy. He was uh, he was really interesting. I thought, uh, you know, had a lot of uh, great stories. And um, my favorite one was him meeting meeting Clint Eastwood. That was a good one, and um, yeah, I've thought many times about Gene Simmons too. About yeah. <laughs> you know when he was afraid he was going to punch him, and right, yeah. Um, so Vernon just had so many amazing stories, and uh, he was delightful as well. Of course, yeah, you know, I love those Australian accents, but <laughs> yeah, and he didn't even want to be an actor to begin with. He wanted to. He was in a rock band for a while. He, that's true. He's one of the very few that, um, when we talked about it, you know, didn't think that, um, you know, most of them just say, like, they knew at a young age that this is what they were going to be doing, whether it's acting or music or, you know, whatever we're interviewing them about. But, yeah, Vernon was different in that way. So, yeah, very interesting. <clears throat> um, you know, we had the, um, the van life story. That was a highly rated episode and, um, you know, a lot of information. So that one was interesting because, you know, it's a, it's an unusual approach to life and, uh, yep, definitely yeah. different. Um, you know, it was an interesting story and, uh, you know, uh, he certainly has made the best of his situation i guess i mean he you know he chose to live in the van and uh you know he's been doing that for i forget how long five years now is that it i think yeah i think so yeah and uh you know he seems happy with it so i guess that's i guess that's the best you can you can ask for yeah happiness in life is uh i mean that's the goal no matter i guess um you know what way I know that means different things to different people, but um, that was an interesting episode. Yeah, and I guess if he was miserable doing it, he wouldn't, you know, wouldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, you know, going to Niagara Falls, I remember he was telling us about that, and uh, he didn't, he, I guess he wasn't really prepared for it, but he made the best of it, and like he, you know, he, uh, he kept telling us, is you just figure it out, you know whatever the situation is. So, I mean, I kind of admire that in uh, people just being able to think on their feet and deal with situations as they come and, you know, find the best outcome. Well, you know, have you found that um, we take away a lot of lessons from these stories? I mean, I, I see there's parallels with certain things. Um, you know, in my life, uh, and, you know, things that we're doing and going through and stuff like that, that I know of, I mean, there are certainly parallels. Well, um, everybody has a story, you know, uh, I'm, I'm so thankful 
that we've told, what, 92 of them at this point? I believe tonight will be 93. We're approaching 100 next season. Wow. And also, um, you know, we're going to hit the 15,000 download mark on um, Podbean, so. That's true. That'll be uh, probably sometime, well, it'll be after this episode airs, I guess. Yeah, so this this coming week, I'm (coughs) sure. So, uh, you know, things are just, I don't know, uh, when I think back of these two years that we've had, um, the podcast is really, uh, it's been a joy to work on, and um, the people are just really, just really interesting. It it keeps my mind engaged all the time throughout the interview, you know, just wanting to know more, just like the listener, really. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I was looking back through emails and stuff, and uh, I saw that in May of last year, we had just crossed 1,000 downloads. <laughs> so, so that goes to show you how much it's grown in just in the last year. It's been amazing. Yeah. You know, like that, um, I think it was a cigarette commercial. We've come a long way, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's was, true. <laughs> was it Virginia Slim? I, I don't have, know. I don't remember. Could have been Winston <laughs> or something. You know, somebody said it. It was for something. <laughs> I think it was Virginia Slim, actually. I don't even Maybe know if they make those anymore. Um, I'm not aware of that either, since I don't smoke. But, um, you know, I'm right into those commercials that you <laughs> do to you know, be able to be on TV. Yeah. I don't know. Can they? I don't think they can anymore. No, no, I don't think so. Yeah, so, you know. I mean, I guess we turned out okay, um, despite them. (laughs) (laughs) Because Alex Miller said, you know, we need to, like, post that clip where he said, you know, he enjoyed talking to us because he liked, you know, that we had sense. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he doesn't know us very well, so... (laughs) (laughs) Speak for yourself. <laughs> I felt like we connected there, and he picked up on my intellect. Yeah, yeah, you did talk to him more than I did, so. <laughs> so, you know, one of us is like. Yeah, <laughs> the sensible the one. The brains of this <laughs> outfit. All right, so what do we got coming up next season? You want to talk about that? I mean, I know we have a few. Oh, my goodness. Uh, we started planning it already, and we got three guests already booked and you know I, I don't think we should tell who they are just yet but we'll be releasing that you know as the as we kick back off september 25th i believe is it the 25th yeah that's right it should be and uh you know so a little bit before the 25th we'll be giving some teasers on who to expect but it's gonna be awesome yeah, I mean, probably the first episode anyway, we'll we'll start teasing before the 25th and, uh, you know, yeah. get getting back into the swing of things. But um, I think during the time that we're not recording, uh, we'll be, you know, still active and uh, posting some stuff, I know, in the, in the Facebook group and uh, different Absolutely. places online. We can have song challenges to look forward to, polls. Yeah. You know, uh, there's a lot of conversation goes on in the group. Find out a lot about um, 
the members in it um, and they interact with their personal experiences about, you know, whatever the topic or um, the celebrity that we're interviewing for that week. So I also really enjoy that and being an active part of the group. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I, I should really do more to be more active, but, and I, you know, I keep saying that, but, uh, it's hard, it's tough to find time, but, um, you know, that maybe I will in the, in the near future to, I don't know, just get in there and get to know people a little bit more and, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, I think that we should record a clip of you saying, I'm going to be more actively involved in the group. And then <laughs> I'll send that to the top. And... Sure, sure. Yeah. And then yeah. people can, like, see how, how many times I post in the next, you know, month or so, whatever it yeah. is, before we start up again. And we can, like, I don't know, gong you or or throw darts at your yeah, picture yeah. or something. Yeah. You know. Could take bets on how many times it'll be and. That sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we just have a lot of fun in the group, and uh, that certainly would add to it. But um, I'm proud of us, I'll have to say. Um, I'm proud of the stories that we've told and the amazing guests that we've been able to, uh, to have, to be able to talk to. It's just, um, you know, it's always interesting, and I can't wait to see what surprises come from tonight's interview i know um uh there will be you know we've, we've been trying hard to get some guests and uh there may be some opportunity in the near future to realize some of those uh you know um getting some of those people on that we've we've been hoping to i know you're working diligently to uh do that and uh, it'll be really, really interesting if some of them say yes. Yes, and I'll just say, Denzel Washington, if you're listening, <laughs> I really would like to interview you as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that, that would be an interesting one, for sure. Oh, my gosh, I know. I love Denzel. So, um, but, you know, it, it could happen. Anything could happen at this point. I mean, we keep getting uh, better, you know, contacts and, uh, you know, um, not better contacts, but... uh, More contacts. More contacts. Yeah, Yeah. sorry. (laughs) I wasn't trying to slight the people that we have contacts with. (laughs) But, uh, you know, we we do get uh, more and more contacts all the time. And... You never know who could come down the road and hop in the chair and have backstory sessions. So we'll see. Yeah. I mean, look how it's already happened. Like when we started the podcast, we thought it was going to be you and me. Yeah. For, yeah. I mean, in the first couple episodes it was, and then, Hey, let's have a guest. And then it kind of <laughs> snowballed into, you know, where know, we are now. So- <laughs> I can only take, you know, two episodes with her. <laughs> oh, so so next season, will, uh, you know, will we still be doing the hello in different languages? You know, I think we've pretty much exhausted that. I've said hello to half the world. I mean, there's 260-something countries in the world, aren't there? But a lot of them speak the same language, you know? So mm-hmm. I feel like I've 
you know, covered a lot of them. Um, so I, I believe I'll be retiring the hello in other languages. Ah, uh, really? I know, but, you know, you should be proud of me for, like, accepting the challenge. And I said them pretty well, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, uh, okay, well, I'll give you that. Um, Aw. Uh, yeah, so is there going to be something to replace it, do you think, or...? I'm sure there will be, you know. I'm always, like, thinking and coming up with new ideas, so. All right, well, I guess we'll have to stay tuned and see what that is. I mean, I think we should sing, you know. I've, I've already said that. I feel like a duet is an order sometimes. Um, yeah, that'd be a big fat no for me. <laughs> yeah, that's the holdup, people. So, um, <laughs> you know, otherwise we would be... A... <laughs> Uh, singing, you know, a duet. Sure, a would maybe show tunes thing. or something. <laughs> oh, that would be so cute. And you said you had a kazoo, you know, last week. So I, I do have a kazoo, yes. yeah. You could play the kazoo and we could sing and I could I, rap a little. Like <laughs> you keep threatening to rap and, uh, you know, I haven't heard anything yet, so. You play your kazoo and I will rap. <laughs> <laughs> The golden kazoo, I have to find it. It's, uh, yes, well, uh, I will be rapping. Uh, I, that is a, that's a challenge. So yeah, yeah. You heard that, listeners. Uh, <laughs> I am willing to rap if he's willing to pull out the kazoo. All right, well, I'll, I'll see if I can find it. I think it's in a box under my bed. All right, well, that's all they've got to look forward to, you know, already. So, uh, I guess, um... You know, as always, it's um, exciting that we get to do this together. And uh, I can't wait to see where we are, you know, at the end of next season. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, uh, without revealing too much, lots of interesting things going on. So uh, we'll, we'll be, uh, you know, it, it'll be, uh, as you said, really interesting to see where things go. <laughs> And, you know, I, I could start crying because, you know, it's like six seasons that we've done this. and Yeah, the, so six seasons and 92 episodes, 93 tonight. And, uh, you know, it's been uh, an interesting, interesting uh, series of uh, stories that we've told. I mean, you know, since way back. When? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Two whole years ago. <laughs> I mean, it seems like a lot longer, but it's really not. So. I know. Well, you know, that's because basically before we started recording, we were still doing the same type thing, like, you know, talking about random stuff. Um, usually the stories were like from some news article or something. Right, yeah. But, um, you know, well, it began with like your story. That's true, <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Story and and I swear know. that book is coming out soon. <laughs> <laughs> Any day now. <laughs> yeah, I believe we have that on tape. Um, yeah, well. I think that I think that was mentioned way back in episode two or something. Where... Yeah, we'll we'll have that out. But... Yeah, it's coming out the end of this year. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I wrote my part, I just want to say. 
Um, so yeah. Yeah. Well, However, I mean, we've written a bunch of stuff since then too. So, uh, yeah. you know, it, it's just I haven't gotten back to that yet. But that you know, it's uh, it's on my list. I have a uh, a real long list in Google Keep that I uh, <laughs> you know that I keep things like that on, like finish the book write this play, write this story, you know, continue this, that sort of thing. So. Well, and now you can add Find Your Kazoo to play. Yes, yes. Uh, and uh, also, you know, um, to finish um, your story. And then also to be more active in the group. So three things tonight. Oh, wow. man, I've just created more work for myself. <laughs> I know. Well. Mark about you huh i admire that quality in you oh well thank you i appreciate that i know you yeah. you keep pretty busy too so i don't know if you have a, a list in google keep but uh you know it's in my mind uh, i see because <laughs> <laughs> i'm you know i'm the sense one remember right the sensible <laughs> one yes yes all right according to alex Thanks. Thanks, Alex Miller, because you know. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, anyway, tonight we have Brett Latta. Uh, he's got a new movie out, and uh, I'm interested in hearing all about that. Should be pretty good. Yes, and do you know, I mean, he's been in so many things. And he was also in Orange is the New Black, which I to love um oh that's know, right yeah uh, a special also. victims unit yes i mean you know he's been in like a lot of things but this one uh you know this one is about a dna kind of story that like you know has a lot of twists and turns yeah yeah <clears throat> excuse me it should be interesting um you know uh, i'm uh looking forward to hearing about it so all right, well, let's uh, get the interview going. All right, do you want to say goodbye for this season before we do that? Oh, my goodness. Adios. <laughs> Adios, muchacho. Au revoir, uh, yes. Sayonara. Uh, yep. Goodbye. All right. <laughs> See ya. Okay. See ya wouldn't want to be ya. <laughs> All right, yeah, we'll, we'll uh, say goodbye for now. We'll see you all again on September 25th, I believe. And uh, Yes, it's not goodbye. It's just right. see you on September 25th. Right, see you all soon. <laughs> all right, <laughs> let's go talk to Brett. Well, Brett Lauder, I want to welcome you to Backstory Sessions. We're really excited to have you and to learn all about the Andy Baker tape. Oh, thank you so much. And I'm really happy to join you two for the next hour or so. Well, so you write and you direct and you start in. Um, so that's a lot of hats to wear. Um, you know, which one of these did you discover you were first? Was it writing or acting or directing? How did it uh, work? I, That's a, a great question. I, I originally started off as an actor. I spent most, you know, I went to Montclair State University where I got my Bachelor of Fine Arts in acting. I lived in New York for the last 10 years. 
I worked in a lot of network television. I did Succession, Law and Order, Orange is the New Black, Alpha House, a lot of shows out of New York, and a lot of independent film. And around 2016, 2017, I started working with another writer friend of mine, Shawnee Chagru, and we produced a feature film, Misty Button. And that was my first time getting away from the traditional acting route and using a little bit more of the storytelling elements that I've learned from studying drama for years. And I produced Misty Button. I spent most of the time after that going back to doing independent film and working. And then the lockdown hit. Right before the lockdown, I was in a short film that won the Academy Award, which was um, The Neighbor's Window. I had a great momentum going. The lockdown hits, and then it's, what do we do now? And I ended yeah. up getting a, a grant through Screen Actors Guild, a very modest one, which I put towards a camera. And I spent the first, I'd say, three months of the pandemic doing nothing but shooting, learning how to shoot, learning how to edit, really spending some time learning skills that I never had the time to pick up when I was focusing solely on acting. I started producing a couple short films with my girlfriends and Dustin, who stars opposite me in the Andy Baker tape. And we decided to sit down and write this script. I think it was the end of May. Dustin and I tag team wrote this. We were kind of learning as we were going. I was taking writer's workshops. I was workshopping script ideas. And Dustin and I just utilized the skills that we knew. We knocked this script out over about three months, and then we took it on the road in October of 2020, where the acting and the directing of this kind of was serendipitous. It kind of fell hand in hand, where I was able to rely on the skills that I and Dustin brought to the table as actors, and I found that most of the directing came in the shaping of the narrative and the story and the editing process. And that's where I was really able to dial in on the choices, dial in on what I wanted to use, what I didn't want to use. And yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'd say I'm an actor first. I still am most intimidated by writing. I feel like that's the hardest aspect is just sitting down and forcing yourself to commit to the pages for an hour. But I love directing. And since then, I've directed a bunch of different projects. And it really allows me to tell stories in a broader way than I just able in as an actor. So what was it like co-writing? It was, a, that was a really, it was a great experience. You know, Dustin and I have been friends. We went to drama school together. We've acted opposite each other over the years. And in writing this script together, it was truly a balance, a 50-50 balance. And we spent a lot of time improvising. When we were struggling with scenes, we would just improvise and riff and try to go with what we thought our characters would do in this. And we probably took, I'd say, 50% um, of the script from us flushing out, having some fun improvising and getting those ideas out. Dustin, I feel, brings a certain playful, you know, some of the scenes that he came up with, I thought were very playful. And they served a, a great breaking point in the story. And I think my strengths were taking that and really dialing those moments into a concise beat that really moves the story forward from A to B to C. I wanted to make sure that we were staying as true to home as possible. And I really wanted to 
keep our dialogue minimal and succinct so there was no concept that this was scripted. I wanted people to really think like these were people that were stumbling and bumbling and getting to know each other throughout the process of this film. So that's where we, you know, after we got our initial ideas out, we would write this down, we jot things out. We went through about five drafts of the script where we would take everything and just dial it down. And whatever we could chop out, we would. So it, it, I think for me, that was the hardest aspect and also the most rewarding because when I finished the first draft and I finished the final draft of the script, it was like, all right, that's out of the way. Now we can get on to the next part. And that's how I, I have to approach writing. It's, it's, um, I have to, but I have to enter it with the prospect of I'm going to sit down. I'm I'm just going to create, and I feel like you have to approach the things that you're intimidated by, by being like, let's sit down and let's and let's create, and then you can trick your brain into having fun with the more difficult uh, aspects of the process. So, um, the premise, as I understand it, is that um, your character is a food blogger, mm-hmm. and um he finds a half brother through um some type of dna test or ancestry i think um and so then they go on the road uh, and they they film all of this stuff and then they disappear which we have to i'm sure watch to find out like all the twists and turns but uh I, i guess the first thing that went through my mind is um you know, have you had a DNA test done or any type of ancestry thing and you had like a surprising relative or anything unusual you found out? I, my mother has become obsessed with family lineage and she's really done a great job of documenting all my family lineage. I have not, but my friends who I will leave unmentioned, she got uh, a DNA test, and she found out that she truly had a half brother from an affair that her father had, yeah. and she did not know this. And that was the basis of our story. We took it from that. We needed to find a vehicle to get these two guys together, and we played with multiple different concepts: friends, brothers, half brothers. And then this came up, and I was like, "That's such an interesting hook. Let's play with that." And I, I, I took it from true circumstance of a good friend of mine well so then um the food blogger is that from a real life experience are you um a foodie or 100 percent. i am obsessed with food all i do is eat i'm 6 3 2 15 i'm never not hungry you know i i was a competitive swimmer for years and when i was swimming I was able to eat 20 to 30,000 calories a day. This is not an exaggeration. And I wouldn't put a single pound. I'd have donuts before. This is when I was in high school. I would have like six donuts before I went to school, have a giant lunch at school, come home, have a huge Chinese dinner, go to uh, swim practice, come home after that, have tons of food afterwards. And I was burning so many calories I could get through that. I stopped swimming when I went to drama school when I was 18 and I was on the same diet and I put on 35 pounds in a month. So <laughs> I don't advise maintaining that diet. However, uh, growing up, my, my parents were great and they exposed me to tons of different styles of food. And I have lived in cities where I have such a great variety of good ethnic foods and I just love exploring new places. 
And in found footage, we did found footage for a few reasons. One is it was the top of the pandemic. We were both unemployed actors. We both needed, we wanted a project to put up and we had a minimal budget. So if I were to produce this as a true narrative feature, as if we were shooting, you know, Dune, you're looking at millions of dollars. You can do found footage for the most part, pretty handheld, doing and and pretty self-contained with two people. However, we needed to get, we needed to have a reason to keep the camera rolling the entire time. And we also wanted to find an interesting hook. And the food blogger aspects just flew off the rails at us. We, we knew we, that, that approach has never been done in found footage that I know of. We are in this world of Gen Z, you know, all these YouTube influencers, all these Instagram influencers, and they are blowing up. And we watched so many charismatic, good channels, and we stole some ideas from a lot of different ones that we liked. And that was kind of an amalgorithm of what we put into the character of Jeff Blake, who I played, who's this YouTube somewhat, uh, you know, somewhat temperamental, somewhat, you know, really driven influencer who's just trying to take his show to the next level. And that also gave us an excuse to keep the camera rolling throughout the entire film, because this guy is constantly documenting his life. This guy wants everything on camera because he wants to exploit every little thing that happens to him. And you got to eat. <laughs> and, yeah, well, that I'd be honest, that was one of the best parts of, <laughs> of this entire shoot is that when we were doing, we we're going to all these great roadside stops in New Jersey and it was the top of the pandemic. And they, what was, what also, there, it, that was a double-edged sword for us because we couldn't get inside the restaurants to do the actual food blogging because of mass mandates. But then we also weren't going to deal with any kind of copyright issues if we caught people's faces. Everyone at that time in New Jersey was eating in the parking lots of all these places. <laughs> so we could go there, pick up the food, go in the parking lots, eat and film. And it was truly authentic to that time. And it all, I mean, all those scenes that we have the food blogging in, it happens in real time. There's people in some of the scenes shouting at us, are you from YouTube? Are you from YouTube? <laughs> and after, you know, we're screaming back, we are, you know, this is Jeff Blake's food show, you know? And we have these people coming up and that, I would say, fueled and it just influenced the direction. It just made the film more fun. And it also was this fun tightrope that we were walking of. We're actually doing this you know and i feel like as an actor you're taught to do the do's and do the things that help you and in actually being there and doing it it took the acting out of it it was just we're really here we're in the situation we have the food let's see what comes out of it and the the, the script it's 85 percent scripted out beforehand the only scenes that we didn't write out were the food blogging scenes we did, however, know that we wanted to go A to B to C to D. We had those beats. We shot for about two hours at each food location. And I dialed in the editing those scenes down into one to two minute clips. And, uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully it works. So of all these food places, uh, what is the, the best memory that you have of filming, either because something unusual happened or uh, it just took perfectly? Uh, what, what's the favorite? So we, you know, there's so, it, it's a really tough question because we shot at some great, great places. The first day that we shot at one of the 
locations was this great barbecue spot in Manalapan, New Jersey. And to be honest, I mostly am the one that's helming the food scenes. It's all on me. I was a little bit nervous about doing this. It was going to be improv. We had a really rough morning of filming where a lot of things went wrong. We were starving. We were kind of temperamental with each other. And Dustin's like, you know what? If we're going to eat, why don't we just go to the barbecue spot, shoot there, and just eat the food as we're doing it? And I was like, ah, uh-huh. all right, all right. I took a quick nap in the car. We got there. And something just came over where it just felt right. And the, the the interactions that Dustin and I had, the food that we had there, the barbecue, that's where we had people in the parking lot being like, oh, you guys are on YouTube. You're, you're, you're back at YouTube. You know, it was just the perfect icebreaker to the rest of the food scenes. I'd say one of the more memorable ones that we had, there's this amazing, amazing turkey farm by me in New Jersey. I... I told them I wouldn't give names. I wish I could. But if you're ever in Monmouth County, New Jersey, there's an incredible turkey farm. <laughs> Go there and, and get the sandwiches we have in the film. Um, we went there and we're using shotgun mics in this film. We use shotgun mics because we wanted to create a true camcorder experience. We didn't want to be lapped up with a lavalier. So, you know, we wanted it to actually feel like it was a camcorder. They are putting 5G towers all over New Jersey. So we're filming some of these scenes. We have about $150 worth of turkey and all these sides, mashed potatoes, mac and cheese, everything. And we hear this <laughs> going through all of the audio. And we're like, what the heck is going on? And we look around and right behind the turkey farm, I don't know how we missed this, was a 300-foot 5G tower. And it's just destroying our audio, destroying the audio. The sun's going down. We have all this food that we bought. We're on a tight time schedule. We're like, what do we do to figure this out? So we found a dumpster that was behind the turkey farm. We flipped it on its side. We tucked the camera inside of there. We took (laughs) copper cables and we wrapped it around everything. And we basically made a makeshift Faraday cage. We put all these water bottles on top. And you don't know that as we're shooting it, but we have the camera underneath this dumpster blocking the signal from the 5g tower it worked perfect however it was 85 degrees that day that dumpster (laughs) was baking in the heat the entire time so as we're eating all this food it's just this wretched dumpster stench just pouring out over us (laughs) but we did it we got through it and uh and you'll, you'll you'll see it in the film when you watch uh, I can't wait. Did you, did anybody just take a photo of it? Like, yeah, well, it, what's also funny is that is that the owners of the farm next to us we were shooting on, you know, we did a lot of this. I'm not going to lie, guerrilla filmmaking, and we snuck on to, you know, we did everything live action, and we kind of got around asking for permits. We just did it, you know. And the owner of the farm comes over in a pickup truck, and he goes, "What are you guys doing here?" So oh, we're shooting just a quick YouTube video, and he asked me, and then I said, we, we just got the food next door. He goes, you got the food next door? He goes, where'd you grow up? He said, I'm from, I'm from Point Pleasant Beach. That's my hometown. Well, it turns out that he was the uncle of a kid I went to high school with. So I said, yeah, I know. I know so-and-so, and I know his younger brother, blah, blah, blah. He goes, all right, you guys are cool. Just don't mention our name in this, and you're totally fine. 
we didn't. We're, we're grateful to him to letting us shoot there. And that, that all happened on the same day. So, you know, <laughs> with, with this project, we led with the, the motif of it's better to add, beg for forgiveness than ask for permission. And I feel like with, you know, a guerrilla style found footage film, that's the mentality you have to go into it with. Well, it seems like that a lot of things like in the world, you know, there was a lot of chaos with the yeah. pandemic and all of that. But um, I'm guessing that minus that, maybe this film wouldn't exist. I would have to say 100 percent this film wouldn't exist without the pandemic, you know, and if anything came out of that dark time. For me, at least, it was the opportunity to to refocus my priorities and to put my efforts into a project that was a little bit outside of my wheelhouse. When I was in just the constant acting mode grind, it was, well, I'm running to auditions, I'm running to jobs, I'm running to acting classes all the time. And you know, I'm hitting the gym, I have to do this. And it is a grind, you know, doing that in New York is a grind. You know, you're on subways for an hour one way, an hour this way, running to stuff. And at the end of the day, you come home and sometimes you just want to sit on a couch Put on a quick movie before you pass out and having the world stop around us gave me more time and more freedom to reevaluate what I was putting out there. And I've always been very grateful for every job that I've had. But when you're doing a lot of procedural television and you're doing a lot of the network TV shows, you are living in someone else's world and you're interpreting someone else's lines and parts. And those tend to fit a very narrow box of what you can bring into something. I, I once saw Al Pacino at a lecture and he said this amazing quote, it's you can't play an orchestra on a banjo and not that all network TV is that way. But when you're going out for these guest stars, you are fitting, you have to serve a story and you have to get a line across. And I wanted to have something that I felt like I was using every aspect of my being. And I was using every thing that I've learned in all this intense theater drama training over 15 years of, of studying this craft and studying this art. And I started creating my, my, my own things. And during the lockdown, I was shooting a bunch of different shorts Dustin and I were working on different concepts and it was a creative icebreaker for me to really dial back into what I valued as an entertainer, what I valued as an artist and as a, as someone in this industry. And I was able to put my stamp on things and I was able to put my, I was able to use me for me and not just interpret someone else's concept. And this film is a testament to that, where we're both using ourselves 100%. We don't have anyone else we're really relying on. It was a very small production team with this, but we all came together and, and supported each other. And I, I think we created something that's really special that wouldn't have happened without the pandemic. So did you find that improv is, is something that you enjoy, like when you were at the food places and kind yes. of all, you're just going with it? Uh, improv, while it can be a little bit daunting, is always the most fun. 
And I really feel like that really brings out the true colors of, of who you are. And the way that I approach acting is very improv based. Even, even my first year of drama school, we weren't even given scenes. We were given, it was just improv for a year. And that gives you a few different things. Number one, you rely entirely on yourself. There's no lines to save you. It's there. It forces you to be 100% present with your partner. And you really have to take things off of the person that you're working with. If you're trying to create some crazy scenario and be witty and be funny, it doesn't work. It just has to be about the connection you have with the person in front of you. And I think it also allows you to be a little bit closer to home. I, I think of all the great performers that I've seen, the great actors, and when they are improving through things, they're better. You know, I loved, you know, don't get me wrong, I loved Leonardo DiCaprio as an actor, but some of the scenes that he has in Wolf of Wall Street, it's so pure and it's so simple and it's so basic and it's because those are improvs. I did this scripted show for Lifetime years ago. It's called I Love You But I Lied. It was Lifetime's first scripted show. The showrunner on that was a man named Michael Seldich, was one of my favorite directors to this day. It was heavily structured improv where we knew the outline of the story. We knew the outline of the beats and we improv from A to B to C to D. And if we got a little bit carried away or it got a little bit too far, Michael would kind of dial it back in and be like, let's make this more succinct. Let's get to the next part of the story. Let's get to the next element. And in doing so, I found that it, it really allows you to to be simple and pure and not put any extra emphasis or any extra acting. And uh, improv is such a, a underutilized tool for actors, I feel, and performers. And it's not just funny, you know, like the scripted improv, the improv that we do in this, it's, it's not anyway. Um, you know, I think improv, we think of whose line is it anyway. We think of UCB. We think of these comic improvs. But dramatic improv is 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 great. And you can use improv, as a, like I said, as a way to just be simple and pure. And I, we relied on that in the script writing. We took the moments that worked. We wrote that down. In the scenes, Dustin and I have improv and we've acted and we've, performed opposite each other for years i know him very well he knows me very well we were able to stay really grounded and connected with each other and we really just trusted i trusted in him and he trusted in me and i think it really works for the chemistry between these two characters in our film uh were there any points of disagreement that you had to um settle through the process Oh, of course. I mean, if you're, you know, we, we shot this over 14 days and I'm not exaggerating. Every wow. day was about a 14 to 15 hour day. No matter what, you're going to deal with some kind of tension and anxiety and there's stress on sets and we're trying to get things right. It's not about, you know, you can't go through these projects and expect not to have any kind of conflict. It's how you resolve the conflict and it's how you work forward. Dustin and I worked together very well. We were able to we had disagreements able to kind of get around those real fast. Not that we had many, but, you know, um, Dustin's a, a very talented storyteller in his own way. And I, we have different sensibilities on some things. Some things I um, 
disagreed with ways that he wanted to tell the story and he disagreed with ways that I want to tell the story. And ultimately, we were working towards the same goal of getting this story on its feet. And in the service of this project, it's really easy to put across those differences and just come together and be like, okay, what's best for this story right now? What can we do? And that's what we did. I will say our final night was a gauntlet. And we do a lot of single take shots in this film. And that is really, really tricky because you go through about six or seven and eight minutes. And if there's one thing that's off, if there's one shadow that's wrong, if something falls out of place, the shot's ruined if you want the single shot effect. Our final, I'm not gonna, I don't wanna ruin this for anyone that hasn't seen, but our final single shot take was brutal. And it is, you know, it was extremely difficult we tried shooting it one night and that went on until about four in the morning. And I realized I was like, listen, I do not want to blow the load on this. We need to recalibrate a little bit, dial back in, map this out and attack this tomorrow night. So the next day we called it quits that night. Dustin went off to a barbecue to detox. His, you know, his family was having a barbecue. I worked with my producer, Caitlin Boric, and we sat down the entire day after getting, you know, three hours sleep, and we figured out the best way to attack this shot. We workshopped it, we played with everything together, and we found kind of a roadmap of what we were going to do. So Dustin was coming over around 10 o'clock at night. You know, we wanted to make sure that we had a really um, open and inviting work environment for everyone so caitlin and i we made all these cookies we had this dustin came in was in a great mood it it, it we got the shots it took us the entire night to get done where we wrapped at about seven o'clock the next morning just as the sun was coming up and you know we certainly wrote things that were that were overly ambitious for us and I'm so glad that I had Dustin and Caitlin and my sound designer, Arthur, to rely on to find ways to elevate to elevate our concepts and turn it into a reality. So after it was finished, um, then what? Like, how did you feel about it at that point? Well, that's it's a it's a great question, too. You know, about halfway through. This is going to be a long way to get to your question, but we shot this on a basic cinema camera. And in some scenes, actually, I had an early model of an iPhone 12 and it works in found footage. I learned the hard way that the reason why most found footage, unless you have a professional cinematographer doing it with you, is truly shot on a camcorder because camcorders have a, a very basic sensor, you know, where they exposed for the foreground and the background. They expose for, you know, you don't have to worry about your focus issues. You don't have to worry about anything. We were shooting this on a cinema camera where when you whip the camera around, you have the background in focus. You have the foreground out of focus. The backgrounds, the highlights are blown out. Whatever could go wrong went wrong in the beginning. And because I was three months into learning cameras, it was a learning curve. You know, I was learning this. The iPhone, the iPhone 12 at the time, which is what we used, has this basic algorithm in it where it kind of exposes for the highlights, the lowlights. It keeps everything in autofocus. 
And I'd say, you know, 20% of the film we shot using the iPhone and the rest we used the cinema camera. But in found footage where you don't have to have this crazy depth of field, you can get away with doing that. And with color grading and color matching, no one, no one is the wiser. There was a process about halfway through where we had a really tough day of struggling. We were watching some, and I was like, I think we have to start this over. I think we need to buy a camcorder. We're not going to get through this. And I had a mini anxiety attack. So Dustin and I took the afternoon and we said, let's lay out 15 minutes of footage. And if the 15 minutes of footage is good, we'll keep going. We put 15 minutes of footage together. And I did it in about two hours. Sloppy cutting and everything. But we were like, there, there's actually, there's some meat here. We, I was so surprised on how some of the stuff came out. So we made the decision to not buy the camcorder, to stick with what we were doing, and we did that. Now, the editing process, I finished, we finished shooting. I was October 26th. I remember it was a really long night. Spent the next two days, Caitlin and I, who is my girlfriend, we ended up going to Olive Garden. We just drowned ourselves in soup, salad, and breadsticks. <laughs> like, we just need a, a, a punish, you know, like a meal that we can feel uh, relaxed on. And we landed on soup, salad, and breadsticks. And I think I ate 400 breadsticks that night out of stress <laughs> and just coming down from the high. And, um, I started editing the film, I think it was November 1st. I could not get away from the computer. You know, I think I had the first cut of this by November 13th. That being said, my sound designer, Arthur Giamalitis, is based in Melbourne, Australia. So he sends me this care package because he knows what I'm going through. And the care package is every single box of Tim Tams, which are these great Australian cookies all these special uh, cherry ripes, Vegemite, any kind of Australian food you can think of. And I just sat there editing, eating these treats <laughs> for 13 days straight. You know, I felt like Ben Stiller at the end of Dodgeball when I was done with that process. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it was around that time. And that's when I got the first, you got the first cut and I took it. I think at that point we were at an hour and 27 minutes, if I don't remember. And I took it up to Caitlin in New York. She hasn't seen anything yet. And we watched it and we saw where our attention spans dropped. We saw where things lagged. We saw what worked. We saw what didn't. And we ended up, you know, she had some great notes and it was great to have her producer eye on that outside of me because I was very close to the material and sometimes you need someone else to kind of balance it out. Gave sure. me some great adjustments. I went home. We got our next cut dialed in. I think it was like an hour 15 and there were a few trouble scenes in there that I shot where I knew we needed some better transitions and I knew we needed some... We, we could maybe shoot some of these scenes a little bit better. Very, very small things. And I was able to do a lot of that without having Dustin on set with us. It was just Caitlin and me. And it was, you know, her following me into a store to buy the sandwiches or doing this. And you wouldn't know at the time that it's not, you know, done continuous. We shot those. I replaced a scene at the end 
which was a little bit lagging. And, you know, I shot that over the night and we, we got it all in. I think the final, the final touches of that, I got done close to the end of November. That's when I got it into the hands of Arthur Giamalitis, who is truly a wizard. You know, he, and he's, he was a great friend of mine who I met in drama school years ago, was a study abroad student from Melbourne, Australia. And he's a radio DJ or worked as a radio DJ over there. Now he works in production a lot. He's a very talented actor as well. And he just went through and he did every single post-production audio thing you could imagine. He made us sound fantastic. He added all these extra, all these extra little noises to scenes. No, we, we worked, I think it was about 18 different passes of sound design that we had where we would just keep dialing in. It's like, well, we don't need this, but let's add this. What can we find here? What, what can we do just to add the tension? And there were some scenes that needed some like speed ramping where they went a little bit faster, where the audience doesn't really know it's there. And we worked on that. Then we had to reshift all the audio back in. What he, he spent hours with me doing this and truly hours. And he's a, he's a, a gem. Uh, and then around that time, I knew that I really wanted to have a great way to finish the film. And I wanted the credits. You could take the ending of this film in two ways, where one, it's like, oh, wow. And I didn't want people to leave the film being feeling that deep feeling. I wanted people to leave the film and feel like they just got off a roller coaster. And I wanted that to say, wow, that was fun. That was fun. And I had another friend from drama school, Matt DeBrow, who's this incredible, incredibly talented bluesgrass musician in South Jersey. And his band is Matt Brown, the captives. And he wrote us this custom song for the end of the film. It got that. It was brilliant. I learned throughout the process of editing how to color grade. I I was taking, as I was editing, I'd take a break. I would take a course on Udemy or Udemy and I would learn how to color grade. And I, I, we didn't really have the budget to outsource anything. So I was doing everything myself, putting this together, editing, color grading, we got done with that cut on January 13th. The Garden State Film Festival was one of the bigger film festivals on the East Coast. Wonderful. Our film was a New Jersey food film. We figured, well, we, did, we you know, at the time, we didn't know how this film was going to play. And we were like, if we play it, I, I, in my mind at the time, I was like, you know, if this plays at one film festival, I'm so happy. I just want people to get this film. Lucky for us, we had an incredible festival run, and I'm so grateful for that. But the Garden State Film Festival, I thought, was be the perfect place to premiere this. Turns out their admissions deadline was January 8th. They weren't taking anyone in. So I emailed um, the head of the festival, who I've since become great friends with, and I said, Listen, I just finished this feature. It's shot around New Jersey. It's a love story to New Jersey and New Jersey food culture. Can we get a waiver to submit? So I'm sorry. We're all booked up this year. We had thousands of entries. We just can't see anymore. And uh, somehow it came out that Matt DeBrow, who was our music designer, worked as a projectionist years ago for the Garden State Film Festival. So that came out. They relented. They let us send in an early, a a late cut. We got it in. 
We ended up screening there. We had our world premiere at the Garden State Film Festival where we won Best Homegrown Feature Film, and that was the kickoff for us. Wow. Last year, or it was 2021, we played 26 film festivals in total. You know, lucky enough, and this is me coming from a humble standpoint, we won 26 awards throughout the season two where we won Best Feature Film at multiple at multiple places. I uh, won four Best Director Awards, Best Actor Awards, Best Supporting Actor Awards, Best Editing, Best Screenplay, and every single one of them meant so much to us. We really had no idea that this project was going to have the legs that it did. I ended up going out to Coronado Island um, at the end of November of 2022. I'm sorry, 2021, and that was our bigger West Coast premiere. We we played at the Coronado Island Film Festival, which was hosted at the Dell Hotel. Beautiful, you know, the filming location of Some Like It Hot. And around that time, it's when we started getting offers to sell the film. And we landed with this company. You know, we had a few different ones. I took a lot of different calls. Dustin and I were like weighing all the pros and cons of, well, this one's going to offer this. This is going to offer this. We ended up with Terror Films, and I'm so grateful to them. They've been so good and helping us with this process. Joe Dane, you know, the entire team of Terror Films has been phenomenal. Then I had some work going on where I moved out to LA. It's my first two months in LA and I'm realizing, you know, we have all our deliverables in. It took me, it takes, it's a long time to get the deliverables for a film. And I don't know if anyone has listening has gone through this process. It's not easy. And as my first time, like learning on how to pull everything apart and doing this right, getting the, the different tracks of audio, getting all the film stuff was overwhelming. I get everything into terror films. Arthur, my sound designer, and I are going over the cue sheet for music. And we realize that we are using public domain songs to Australia for the rest of everything, but they're not copyright free for the United States. So after we did all this work, we are like, okay. So I call Terror immediately. I'm like, guys, we have to stop this. We have to figure this out. I reach out to the record label of the songs that we had, songs that we loved in the film. We were looking at like a $35,000 price tag. You know, this was a self-funded feature where we just didn't have that budget to put towards that. So last minute, I call up Matt. I call up Matt DeBrow who did our final song. I said, Matt, here's our issue. What can we figure out? And Matt and his bands worked on some custom songs for us. They put together a, a, a bunch of songs that they thought would work for the film, sent them over. We used every single one. They are all brilliant. And it's, it's, I'm so grateful that we had this accident because it enhanced the project so much more. And it is such a better soundtrack that we had. And then I have another another good friend who I need to give a shout out to. His name's Jerome Schuler, and his band is called Molly and the Pineapples. And he's another another brilliant musician. I went to drama school with him as well. So it's you know it's not even it's the people that you know. It's truly it takes a, you know a village to to get these stuffs up uh, up and running. And Jerome sent me a lot of his songs. Some of his music is so slick and smooth. And just, I mean, it's, it's, it's sexy. That's the best way I can describe it. And not all of that fits our film. But 
he had this song that I love. It's called Runaway Slave. And we used that in the finale of our film. And the beat that he created for that is, it's one of my favorite beats I've ever heard. I'm so happy that I got to use that in the end. And I'm also so happy that I was able to use two of my really good friends that I went to drama school with, who I came up with, who I learned. And that is the final cut that everyone's going to see when we release on August 5th is the the newer version with my friend's music in it you know time tested and went through all you know when we sold the film it was a different film we rescored stuff we're able to fix some things and the the version that's being released is the best version of the film that we've had yet and so um you said that will be august 5th yes august 5th is our initial release on the terror films channel they're giving us a nice early bump then we kind of have a wide digital release on august 12th and then august 19th we're going to start streaming through kings of horror wow so it sounds like with all the things that would go wrong then and fixing them you made a better um, finished product yes and at the time of doing that you know, you don't see the forest of the trees. It was, you know, on top of a move, on top of everything else going on, it was stressful. You know, I'm like trying to find, you know, new apartments to live in. I'm doing this. You know, I was I moved cross country and I had this film that I was so passionate about and I just wanted the relief of having it all in and done. And those, you know, it was not the middle of the pandemic anymore where Arthur is still in Australia. He's working full time again. We're on 16 hour time differences. And it's how do we dial this in and figure it out? One of the mistakes that I made, like I said, is that we did some speed ramping and we did this after Arthur sent the final cut of music or the final soundtrack mix back to me. So what that means is that the speed ramps are added after Arthur sent that back to me. And it's giving it, it's, you know, it's like one or two seconds here or there that shaved off a scene that shaved off a scene. So when we went to go replace all the music and all the songs and Arthur sends me back that mix. I'm realizing, wait, we're totally out of sync. What is going on? We had to, we had to, it took us about two weeks to realize it's like, oh, shoot, we have speed ramps in here, which is speeding up the, speeding up the visual. Uh-huh. So it's not matching the audio. And what's crazy about this is I could not define, for some reason, the original file of the Andy Baker tape library that I had on my external hard drive would not open in Final Cut, which is what I edited in. So I can't even get back in to find where those speed cuts are because it's such a, a huge file. So Arthur and I had to, by ear and by sight, rewatch the film figure out where those speed cuts were, shift his audio timeline, get that all dialed back in. And we did that manually. And I cannot tell you how stressful and wow. annoying that process was. And, you know, that took, it took Arthur and I an extra two months just to do that portion, um, which had my hard drive work better or I, I've had this organized a little bit you know, if this wasn't my first time doing this, it, we wouldn't have had that issue. But it was my first time doing it, and I was learning as I was going. But that was one of the the hurdles that we faced in the final deliverable um, part of the film. 
and yet here you are like very close to you know the release so um i'm i mean i i just can't imagine it matt you probably would have a better imagination for the technical part and things that go wrong but i know myself i don't have the the patience that i would be so filled with anxiety i'd be like i could not handle that well you know at a, at a certain point it was just we were so close to the finish line and you really have to will your way through those things every production no matter what size i've been on has always dealt with some speed bumps and some hurdles and this was no different and because this had so many legs that we were able to see it you know up and running on and we cared about this so much it there was no way that we weren't going to figure it out but the process of figuring it out on top of everything else going on in our lives was certainly did not make for uh for an easy two months did i hope you had some food during that time as well <laughs> i did and i just you know i was just moving out to la so i was learning all the local food spots in la so at the time i was spending a lot of time in santa monica and there's so many good taco trucks out this way. So I feel like the, the trade-off from New York or the Jersey Shore to L.A. is New York just has great bodegas, great bagels. You know, you can go out. Bagels out here on the West Coast, they're not bagels. They don't count, you know. But the tacos <laughs> and the burritos out here are great. So, you know, you trade burritos for bagels. You have amazing Mexican food, great ceviches. It's, it's, but it's a, it's a bit of a culture clash. So, you know, I, I feel like I opened up my palate in a different way. There you go, Matt. There's the title. Burritos <laughs> for bagels. I feel yeah. like that's yeah. the title. <laughs> so, Matt, do you have some questions? Yeah, I was curious. Uh, when you were when you were shooting, did you get out into Western Jersey at all? We we you know actually most of the film is shot close to the shore. I during COVID, I was renting a beach house. Yeah. Uh, in Tom's River, I shot a lot around Tom's River. We shot a lot in Freehold. We shot in Monmouth County and Ocean County. And then we needed to get some cabins. And the only time we shot Western, I feel like we drove out to a far part of, we drove out to Bedford, Pennsylvania, okay. and which is, it's by Shawnee State Park. Um, I ended up, you know, that was the farthest west that we went. You know, we shot around, actually, we shot in Atlantic City a lot. But not too much in in Western New Jersey. Why are you uh, are you a Western Jersey native? Well, I I lived in uh, Stroudsburg in Pennsylvania, which is right by Delaware yep. Water Gap. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. I was just wondering if you got out to like Hot Dog Johnny's or uh, any of those. You know, I there's so many. There's New Jersey has so many good roadside food stops, yeah. and I, I even got a book from my mom about like a thousand and one places to go. There's so many places that were on the list that we wanted to go to. <laughs> one, one of the issues was is that we don't actually show any of the names of the places right. because we didn't, you know, copyright and things. So some of the more iconic ones I wanted to go to, I wasn't able to. I really, when I was, I wanted to shoot at the, I don't know if you know the Evergreen Dairy Bar. I've heard of it, yes. It's this amazing, it's like this Norman Rockwell 1950s ice cream shop on the way out to Philadelphia. If you're taking Route 70 all the way to Philadelphia, it's this amazing place. I wanted to shoot there. We weren't able to, and we had some things where a lot of those places play outdoor music. 
Yeah. And that was another concern that we had where a lot of places that play outdoor music, that's all copywritten and we couldn't get the license. You know, all if they're right. playing top 100 songs, we couldn't do that. So we had to find places that were, they didn't have their names plastered all over the place that they weren't playing outdoor music that we can kind of get in and out. Yeah. Um, and we, we shot at a, a, we, we only had one location, which agreed or not agreed, but like they were really, they saw what we were doing and they asked us about it and they're like 100% shoot here. You know, it's called, Oh, what a bagel. It's in Bayville, New Jersey. The owner's Michelle. She was a gem through the entire process, but they were so enthusiastic. They're like, yeah, do whatever you need. They let us walk in and out of the store a thousand times. The bagels there are phenomenal. So if you're ever in Bayville, New Jersey, go to, <laughs> Oh, what a bagel. <laughs> it's top notch. Uh, and then my other question was, um, I'm listening to you talk about this film. Um, you know, I can, I can hear the passion that you have for the filmmaking process and stuff. So I'm curious, like, uh, when you got into acting, I know you went to acting school, but was there like something before that, that like kind of pushed you towards that? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, you, you go to drama school and you spend all your time learning the great playwrights in the beginning. Mm -hmm. You know, you learn Williams, you learn Chekhov, you learn Shakespeare. I went, I you know I was never, I mean, I did plays. I liked, you know, I liked plays, but I was always a film buff and I grew up watching films religiously, you know, and not just things that were way outside of my wheelhouse. My, my grandmother was a Chesterfield cigarette model and this was in like the 1940s. Oh, and I, wow. she was just an encyclopedia of the golden age movie stars from that age. So I, I would go over to her house and it would just be Turner Classic Movies on constantly. And that's all that I watched growing up was all was all these classic films like Bringing Up Baby, The Philadelphia Story, all these great classic films. And I certainly got an appreciation for film that way. I think as a kid, my, my, you know, one of my mom's ways to, to, uh, get me out there was she also, I mean, she exposed me to so many films also, mm -hmm. and not just like your traditional cartoon things, but true cinema. Like as a kid, she had me watching Babette's Feast and all these great foreign movies. And I would say it was almost like wax on wax off approach where you watch these great directors. I mean, I watched alien, you know, my mom cut it off at the chest buster scene, <laughs> but I remember being like four, I remember being like four years old on the couch and alien was on. And then she turned the TV off for a second. Then it went back on and that was the chest buster scene, <laughs> but watching those films and you, you know, you're, there's so when you're a kid your imagination just runs wild and it's so vivid and you're watching a movie like alien you take it in and then you're just thinking about it and it was that kind of wax on wax off experience that really got me into film and really caring about film in in high school i was a huge jack nicholson fan i just loved i mean i loved early pacino i love jack nicholson mm -hmm. and i was watching five easy pieces one Floor Over the Cuckoo's Nest, As Good As It Gets. I think I, I watched As Good As It Gets for like three weeks straight when I was in high school. I just <laughs> I love that movie. But when you're watching these great directors, you know, like Bob Raffleson and, you know, um, James, James L. Brooks, mm -hmm. you just kind of have tempo and energy drilled into you in a certain way. 
So when I went to acting school, of course I love theater, but my true passions were always film. And I always wanted to come out and work in film and, you know, even not, I mean, television, I like too, but film is something different. I feel like film, there's a little bit more expression, especially in indie film. In indie film, you really kind of have some leg room to, to stretch and express yourselves in different ways where you just don't have, I mean, theater, you can, I mean, you, you can express yourself in any art form. Don't get me wrong. I just find that the expressions that I, that resonated the most with me always came from film. All right, Kat, uh, you got one last question or do we want to do the, do we want to do the, yeah, we, we, I think he gets to choose. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) So we, we, uh, have been ending our podcast, um, for at least half a season, um, with an, you can choose to answer a question from Matt or to answer a question from Kat. So um, they're probably not related to anything we discussed, but um, whose question would you like? All right. Well, here's how I'm going to do it. I've enjoyed talking to both of you. I have a quarter in my wallet. Heads is going to be Kat. Tails is going to be Matt. Okay. I'm going <laughs> to flip a quarter. Getting it out right now. So I said heads is Kat. Tails is Matt. Yep. That's right. All right, it's heads. So heads is cat. So cat, it's your question. Hi, I guess I asked the question. All right, so I have so many, but I have to narrow it down to one. So, um, what is the craziest thing that you have done in the name of love? Craziest thing I've done in the name of love. Wow, that's a great that's a great question, and I feel like we're all we're all fools for love at some point in our lives. Yeah. See, that's why that quarter. Was yeah. <laughs> wow. wow. I, I'm, I'm kind of wishing I went to, I went to tails, but, uh, <laughs> um, you know, I, th- I think for me, the, the, the concept of, of like true love and being with someone who you love and you care about, you really, give yourself over to them in in a different way. And in a way you're kind of sacrificing the identity that you think you have for yourself. And you're, when you're in a, a great partnership and you're with someone, you are two sides of a coin. And I don't know, don't know if it's actually crazy, but it's some kind of like erasing the identity and learning to grow outside, uh, like to expand outside of just like the narrowness of, well, this is who I think I am and letting someone else steer the ship for you for a while. And like, you know, or just like being part of that back and forth of that energy and that love of the connection of the partner that you're with and getting out of your way and just giving yourself over to someone with, all the, you know, we've all been through relationships that have been ups and downs. And I've had, you know, certainly my heart broken plenty of times. I've been the source of someone's heartbreak. And it's just getting yourself back, you know, just giving yourself over to the vulnerability of it all, even in spite of past relationships and past trauma. You know, my, my, my partner now, Caitlin, is, is, uh, 
just uh, an amazing source of inspiration. And sometimes when I, you know, I certainly can be high strung and neurotic and I'm in an artistic field and I feel like that breeds a certain level of um, crazy in its own way. And she's such a good captain of, of steering uh, a ship and just being like, no, take it easy. You're doing what you can, you know, let go. And it's just letting someone influence you in a way that you're not, you're not, you're not used to. I like that answer. Uh, it's the... a really nice answer. Yeah. It really is. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, of course I've done like all the crazy crap, like fly across the country, but I feel like that that's, you know, that's, that's not where I want to, that that's not really, you know, that's, that's more like lust. And I feel like real love is giving yourself over to someone and not knowing if you're going to get that same kind of energy back, but just trusting in it. And I feel like this day and age and the world that we're in, you know, it's not this 19. I feel like in, you know, I, of course, I'm sure people from that generation say the same thing, but you know, it's like, there's this, I feel like I'm more like a hallmark idea of love, you know, from earlier generations, like the 1940s and fifties and sixties, Right. you know, maybe not the sixties, but like now it's, everything is so fickle and we're so exposed, you know, like if your relationship is going rocky, there's a thousand options on any kind of dating app and you're constantly scrolling through Instagram and getting DMS or your partner's getting DMS and all this stuff. And it's, you know, that's not necessarily love. That's like lust and, you know, whatever, you know, but it's being open and vulnerable in the face of all this extra noise. I want to say it's crazy, but it's not. It's just brave. And it's, it's, it's I think what you need to do to have a relationship of value is um, is just trust and put yourself out there and not. And, and, and you can sometimes just hope for the best. All right. Uh, so Brett, tell us what's next for you. I mean, you know, what do you got coming up? Well, I, I have this film coming out. I just shot a film in LA, which I can't reveal the title yet. It's all under wraps, but it, it is another horror film. Okay. I acted in this one solely. Um, if you follow me, my Instagram is Brett meets world. It's B R E T M E E T S W O R L D. I post a lot of my stuff on my Instagram. My website's brettlotted.net. Uh, that film should be coming out. I'd say in the next year or so. Um, I am still, you know, I'm auditioning for things all the time. We'll have some jobs coming down the pipeline soon. I am in the midst of writing another script and I am in a little bit of, I feel like what's sophomore syndrome where I saw the success that we had with the first and you always kind of want to one up and go back. Yeah. And what I'm constantly reminding myself is the reason why Andy worked was because we just had fun doing it. And ultimately it's, it can't be about like, Oh, I'm going to make the next citizen Kane. I'm going right. to do this. I'm going to do that. And it's just getting back to telling a story that I care about, that I care about telling and getting it down. I have this concept that I've been mulling over and rewriting premise lines for and getting down scenes now for a couple months. And I think 
I'm car. I mean, I, I'm carving time out now. As soon as Andy gets released next week, I can, I can kind of get away from doing some of the press for that. I can get away from getting some of the ads out there and I can just take a sigh of relief, not say goodbye to Andy because I've, I, I, you know, I've traveled with this project now for two years. This right. project has been part of me for two years. So in some ways it's, tough to let go but i can let it on its you know kind of let it go on its own journey and i don't have to hold its hand through this process anymore right. and i can step into the next chapter of my artistic vision and what i want to create all right cat any last words before we let uh, brett go <clears throat> well i just want to thank him uh thank you brett for being a guest uh, it's been really interesting hearing about the making of the Andy Baker tape and I can't wait to watch it. Well, that, thank you so much and it was really a pleasure to spend the afternoon talking to both of you. Thank you for being here. We really appreciate it. Hope you'll come back and talk to us again. I would love to. I, I hope we make this a recurring thing. Alright. Yes. Sounds good. <laughs> awesome. Right. Thank you so much, Matt and Chad. As always, if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, you can send those to cat at iwriteplays at outlook.com or you can write to me at backstorysessions at gmail.com or matt at level11ventures.com. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you soon. Take care.